Let's pray as we continue. Lord Jesus, we do come before you this day grateful and thankful for your resurrection victory. Lord, that you have conquered everything. You've overcome it all. You've defeated sin, death, and the devil on our behalf for our good so that we could have a living hope in you this day. But Lord, while we are still grieved, while we still experience trials and sufferings in this life, we pray that you would do what you've promised, that you would prove, that you would test the genuineness of our faith so that by it we might be found to cling only and solely to you. So Lord, as we hear your word this morning, send your Holy Spirit to fill our hearts that as we hear it, we would believe it and that by believing it, we would become doers of it. We pray, Jesus, in your most holy and perfect name. Amen. So last week was really exciting. It's something special about Easter that just can't be compared to any other service, any other time of the year, right? We rejoiced last week that the Father did say the word live to Jesus' dead body, and that one day he will say the same word to you, too, in the resurrection of Jesus. And today we get to hear from Peter even some more reasons why we should have excitement, why we should rejoice that Jesus has come back from the dead. He gives us three simple reasons why we rejoice. He says that we've been given a living hope, not a dead hope, not just a future hope, one that's alive in you today, that is in you, lives within you, dwells with you even now. He tells us that we've been given an inheritance that's not and will never perish, that is undefiled, that is real and tangible. And he tells us that he's given us salvation too, now and in eternity. And those three things cause us to rejoice. It's almost as though Peter is saying, look, be just as excited, have the same sort of hype this week because Jesus is still back from the dead and these are the great things that he's given to you. But then, he sort of turns the page. If you're listening closely, he has all these great things. He says, blessed be God, praise be to God. But then he flips the page and he says, basically, if you, even though you rejoice at these things, even though you are right to celebrate about what God has done and given to you, now you grieve, if necessary. Now you grieve because of the trials and the sufferings that you experience. See, in those few words, Peter shows us and tells us that the resurrection victory of Jesus expands over all of life, all of it. Not just death, not just some moments or parts of life, but even the darkest, deepest moments of suffering and trials are now transformed by Jesus' resurrection victory. He's taken them and he makes them different than we traditionally, than we typically think about them. To help us see that, we're going to use the analogy that Peter uses. He uses this analogy of refining gold. Now, unless you are a gold bug, unless you know a lot about gold, you're probably like me, and this sort of picture is the only thing you have in your mind about what it means to refine gold. Well, it's probably melted sometime, right? 
And so today we're going to look at a little bit more about what it actually means to refine gold, what the real purpose of it is, and we'll see how that compares to our life of trials and suffering and how Jesus' resurrection has changed it. So let's dive in. So the process to refine gold begins by taking all of the pieces of gold, whether it's bars that have been mined or pieces of jewelry, and it begins by dumping them in these liquid chemicals that are meant to strip away all the other metals on that piece of gold. They do it once to strip away some, and then they do it a second time to strip away all the silver. And then they put it into a thing, and they do this. They melt it at 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit. It's a little sort of comparison. That's about just as hot as your stove burner, your gas burner is at home. It's really, really hot. And I'd like you to maybe imagine something that might feel a little ridiculous, but bear with me. Imagine if you were a piece of gold at this part in the process. Imagine that you were being dunked into this toxic chemical, literally meant to strip away parts of you. That would hurt, would it not? It would be so painful to just literally be burning away. And in these few little words, Peter tells us that it is good, that it is right, that you do not need to feel ashamed, that you have permission to be grieved, to mourn, even on a joyous day like Easter. You don't need to be ashamed that you're not caught up in the hype of what Easter is. Because when we grieve, when we mourn, what we're doing is we're recognizing the reality that these sufferings, that the trials we experience, that's not how things are supposed to be. And so when we go through them, when we experience them, we cry, we mourn, and we weep because we know this is not how things are supposed to be. And so Peter gives you permission today to grieve to be open with your grief even before other people as well. The next part of the process continues to try and make the gold more pure. So that's the ultimate goal of all of these processes. It's to strip away everything else to get only gold left. And so they take this gold that's been melted, they put it into another vat as they cool it down, and then they repeat the same exact process to continue to try and make it more pure. They turn it into a sand, which then turns it back into a liquid later, and then they finally cast it into whatever the finished product will be. And the goal of all of that work, all of that labor, is to strip away all the impurities, to strip away all the things that don't belong. It's not about trying to ruin it. It's not about trying to hurt it. It's about trying to get it down to the very essential thing, the most important thing even. And in our life of faith, a similar thing happens to us in our trials and our suffering too. I don't know about you, but I think whether people tell us this verbally or we've just heard it, We are tempted in the midst of our suffering to think, well, this is a test from God. That this trial, this suffering, is a test to see if I really believe or if I don't. And how I respond will dictate if I really have faith or not. But that's the temptation we have whenever trials and suffering come to us. 
that somehow it's an all-in or all-out thing. But Peter tells us that it's actually the opposite. Peter tells us that in our trials and suffering, God is testing and proving the genuineness of our faith. What he's not doing is trying to break us, trying to get us to not believe in him. What he's trying to do is to prove, to show the genuineness of the faith that God has already given to you, that you already have with you right now. What he's trying to do is to strip away all those things that are unnecessary, all those things that are not the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean it's not going to hurt? Absolutely not. It's going to hurt a lot. Luther says something along these lines, paraphrasing a little bit. About these verses, he says that fire does not hurt the gold, but instead purifies it. And in the same way, God has given the cross to Christians to purge them thoroughly so that they would be found to be just as pure as the word is, relying and trusting solely in Jesus. See, Jesus' resurrection victory transforms the darkest moments of our life. Before, they were just awful moments of grief. They were just moments to wail, to weep and and mourn at. But now they are moments where even though that is still true, even though we are still good and right to do that, they are now also moments where God is at work. Where even in that darkness, He is still drawing you closer. He is still at work in your life to put you on the solid rock of Jesus that will never fail you. Ever. And so just like a gardener would prune their seedlings, just like you take the dead leaves off of a dead flower, God is at work pruning you, refining you, so that you would stand alone on the rock of Jesus Christ. Now when you refine gold, even in today's modern day and age, when we have little supercomputers in our pocket, basically, with nanometer chips, really small things there, they can't make gold 100% pure. Even at the end of this extensive process, it's still only 99.99% pure. And in a way, I think that's kind of a beautiful analogy for our life, too. Because we, too, on this side of eternity, we'll never know what it is like to be 100% pure because of the same sinful Adam and sinful Eve that continues to weigh us down, that continues to cling to us. But the beautiful promise for you today is that there is a day coming. That there is a day when Jesus will return, when you will know for sure and certain what it is like to no longer be bought around, no longer be pulled away from the rock that is Jesus Christ. There's a day when you will know what it is like to see those gifts that Peter said, to know what the realization of your living hope looks like, to inherit the inheritance Jesus has prepared for you, and to experience the salvation that he's won for you in full. And so until that day, until that day, as we suffer, as we experience trials, we can both mourn but also rejoice that God is still at work in them. 
that he's purifying us, that he's refining us so that we would cling to him and to him alone. In Jesus' most holy and perfect name, amen.